There it goes. Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning. Um, each time that we, that we gather together, uh, we always dig into to the Bible, and I hope you brought your Bible with you today. If not, we're going to have it up on the new enhanced version of the screen, which I personally, I just feel so blessed that, that we are able to, to do this and, um, and have this happen. So I think that's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, why do we use the Bible? Every week, uh, we're a church that, that believes wholeheartedly in, in the Bible um, and, and its importance. Every week, we dig into the Scripture, and there's a reason for that. We believe that the, the Bible has the power to save. Um, and it's one of our core values here at Crossroads. Um, it's the only thing that God honors above his own word. And so every week we turn to the scripture, not to something that, that's new and, and feels good to us, but to what is the word of God. And so we're going to turn uh, in our Bibles today. Um, and, and today we're going to be in the, the book of John. Um, and and I want to just reiterate this real quick, is that Second Timothy says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Um, and I want us to, to have that in the back of our head as we read through Scripture today. That's the power that Scripture has. Um, and so this morning, will you open your Bible to the book of John? Um, this passage of Scripture in John chapter 1 is one of my personal favorites. Uh, there's a ton. It's packed full in just a few passages here of so much doctrine and so much power. Uh, and I'm really excited to dig into that with you um, this morning. And we're going to um, talk this morning about the idea of, and I've titled my sermon, Heaven Came Down. And that's what John talks about in chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 1, and it'll be up on the screen for you. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to those that did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he who I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received 
grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Again, I want to talk to you about the idea of heaven came down. And I want us to begin this morning to grasp a hold of the magnitude that is within the birth and the person of Jesus Christ. What's so important about Jesus coming down to earth? Will you pray with me? Father, I, I pray as we dig into your word this morning, Lord, that um, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us, Lord. You've got something for each one of us to hear, Lord God, and I pray that your word would come through, Father God. Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would touch hearts, that you would heal brokenhearted, Lord God. Lord, that we would walk out of here different than when we came in, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I have to admit something to you. Um, the Bible says that when we confess our sins to one another, right? Um, what lives in the dark dies in the light, okay? So here we go. I um, have this kind of obsession, love, maybe it's unhealthy for Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> See, you thought I was going somewhere weird there, right? I was, Hallmark Christmas movies. Like, don't judge me. <laughs> They make you, I, I guess I, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what it is. Why do I like Hallmark Christmas movies? I really do know why. They're really predictable, right? Like you can't get through a Hallmark Christmas movie with knowing, uh, out knowing exactly what's going to happen. And they, they make you, every time one ends, you feel like warm and fuzzy and excited about the next one because they play all day long, right? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. We this is where the real confession happens. We set our DVR to record Hallmark Christmas movies because we love them in our house. Um, and there's probably like 50 of them now recorded. Like I think our DVR, I don't know how big it is, is full now of Hallmark Christmas movies. Thanks, Mother, um, for that obsession. Um, but they're predictable. But in all reality, I've come to realize like all movies are predictable. If you know what you're looking for, they all do the same exact thing. Um, I was a really fantastic student in high school. Not really. I was a terrible student <laughs> in high school. You can ask my mom. Um, and I didn't have enough, coming into my senior year, I didn't have enough English credits to graduate. So we were doing everything that we could to figure out how I could get as many possible English credits because I was really bad and I don't know that I passed any English classes up till that point. Um, how I could get enough English credits to graduate, and one of the ways, I guess, drama class counts as English credit, um, probably because you have to read things like Shakespeare and whatever. So I learned in drama class, like, the way that a story goes. You always have a hero in every film that you watch. It's predictable. There's a hero, he has a fall, and you get really sad, and then he rises back up, and you get really excited, um, and we're all drawn to that Savior story. That's why things like Lord of the Rings are so drawing to us. That, that moment when they come riding in on the horse to save the day, we all get drawn to that. I think it's something within 
our nature that we're compelled to the story of a Savior. And I think sometimes the story of Jesus as Christians can kind of get mundane and fall into just another Savior story. That 11 months out of the year, it just falls with the rest, and then all of a sudden we pull it off of the shelf with the rest of the Christmas decorations, and we bring it back out of the attic. But this isn't just another Savior story. It's not just another good story. It's got something so much greater. It holds so much more weight than any other story because it's not just a story. The magnitude of this moment should be overwhelming to us. The magnitude of the birth of Jesus should be overwhelming to us. It should draw us to our knees in worship when we remember it. So as we dig into our scripture this morning, I want to point out something interesting about the way that John writes. If you go through the other three Gospels, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they kind of follow the same path. And, and John's Gospel is written a little bit differently. And you see in the other Gospels the genealogy of Jesus. And John, it doesn't seem apparent that he necessarily dives after the genealogy of Jesus, but he does, and he does it in a different way. He doesn't spend time proving the bloodline as his case for Messiahship. However, John dives straight to the point of Jesus' deity. And I find that really interesting. So we're going to dig back in. And the first point that I want to make this morning is that the word was... In verse 1, it says, In the beginning, the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. The Word that John is talking about here is Jesus. The Word Jesus was in the beginning with God. God. He's an eternal being. In the beginning brings us back to the same point in Genesis. Sorry, I'm going to take a drink of water. I've been fighting a cold all week. Bear with me. The point that Genesis opens, it says, in the beginning God created. And John here directly stating that he was in existence before this stamp, this marker in time. Jesus was. The Word was. John 17.5 in the NIV says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before the world began, there was Jesus. Before time and space, Jesus was. He's been here since the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, the Savior was. And I, I just find something so powerful in the knowledge of that. 
All things were made through him. Without him, without Jesus, no thing was made. The next point I want to make is the word is God. Jesus is God. And the word was God is what it says. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. He specifically notes, John does, that there's two separate entities here. Yet he defines the word as God. He's divine. He's eternal. John directly establishes the divinity in in Jesus and he places him within the unity of the Godhead in this moment. In Hebrews, it says that he who makes all things is God. And John says, all things were made through him. The book of Isaiah, the prophet speaks of the birth of Jesus. And this is what he says in chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us, we all know this, unto us a child is born, to us a Savior is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's so powerful. And the third point that I want to make is that Jesus became The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And let us be clear here. It says flesh and not body. And I think that's a really powerful distinction. Is that he didn't just come in the form and and take a human body. But he became flesh. He took upon himself the nature that applies to every descendant of Adam. Romans 8.3 says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. It wasn't just that he took a human form. No, he took flesh. The same flesh that you and I fight with daily, he chose to take that upon himself. He is fully God and fully man. There's something so powerful when we recognize that fully God and fully man, he suffered as you and I suffer, allowing him to be a sympathizer with us in our infirmities. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. How powerful is that? But what makes this so amazing is the question that I want us to answer this morning. What is it that makes this moment so powerful, so wonderful? I mean, this is some pretty intense and amazing doctrine, but what is it that's so compelling that draws me into awe and wonder and worship when I read through this? It's that Jesus, who was 
who is an eternal being, who is fully God, glorified in heaven with the Father, chose to give all that up, to give up glory, to give up honor. He chose to give up his place in heaven to enter this broken world. To leave glory behind him, to take on, not just to enter brokenness, but to take on brokenness of the flesh that we are. All so that we can be saved. That's so powerful. John saw something different in Jesus. I believe that when he heard Jesus speak, he knew he was hearing the voice of God. He sensed the divine mission of Jesus, and he recognized that he was the giver of eternal life, that he was the author of salvation. And I believe if, if you came here this morning and you believe the idea, and I think so many people do, that the God of the Bible is some mean, power-hungry, murderous God without compassion, I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie. And I think Jesus wants to prove that to you this morning. Because a, a God who chooses to leave heaven, to leave glory, to become in the likeness of sinful man, someone who does that, that's out of love. You don't lay down your life for somebody in circumstance like that just because or because you're an angry type of God. But we have a God who loves. It says that he came full of grace. Full of grace. Grace upon grace. And maybe you came in here broken hearted. And I believe that this morning, Jesus wants to speak to you. He wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. Because he understands your suffering. And he's the only one that can truly sympathize with it. He understands it. It says that his own people rejected him. His own people did not know him. He understands our suffering. He knows right where you are. You're talking about the guy who stood in front of a crowd. People that loved him before, previously. People that came to hear him speak. And he, and he stands in front of a crowd and what do they shout to him? Kill him, kill him, crucify him. His own people, the people that should have recognized him as Messiah, said murder him. I believe that there's something powerful that happens in each one of us when we allow this amazing Savior story to go past just our intellect and allow it to penetrate 
deep down into our hearts. When that happens, I really honestly believe that you and I will be forever changed. Your life will be rocked and flipped upside down. I promise you of that. When you truly allow this to penetrate deep into your soul. Look at the life of Saul, of Paul. This is a guy who has put everything, his whole person, his whole being, his whole livelihood revolves around really anti-Jesus, making sure that people who follow Christianity are locked up in jail, are killed for their beliefs. That's who Saul was. Everything to his name. Why would somebody just flip on a coin like that? See, he's on the road to Damascus, and I believe that he knew who Jesus was, right? He very well knew who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't a foreign person to him. Alex, do you mind coming up, bud? There's, he's, as he's on the road, right, where's he going? He's going to Damascus. For what purpose? He's going there, the Bible says, to lock up Christians. He has an order of authority to imprison anybody he finds speaking the name of Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. He's seen him. And Jesus meets him at a place on the road He shows up and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And this is Jesus full of grace because I don't think he was angry at Saul. He wasn't mad at Saul. He didn't go, Saul, what's wrong with you? Why do you persecute me? I don't think that was Jesus' attitude. I think he went, Saul, out of broken hearted, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? And I think in that moment, Saul recognized that Jesus wasn't just a man who proclaimed to be God. He was a man who was God. He recognized the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And he recognized him full of grace and truth. And grace upon grace. And I think when we really begin to allow this story, when we really settle on it, and we see that this wasn't just a man, a good guy, but he was... He was God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. He was there at the beginning of time. Through him, you and I were created. Everything that we see around us was made through the man of Jesus Christ. He's king over everything. 
And a guy in that power, in that glory, up in heaven, was brokenhearted enough about you and me that he would leave all of that. He wouldn't just walk into brokenness, but he would put on brokenness. He became flesh. He didn't just put flesh on, he became flesh. So that he could bear our sins. There was no other way for Jesus to bear our sins but to become flesh. See, John and Paul both recognized and they came to the understanding of the magnitude and the weight of the love of a God who was full of glory, who left glory and became sinful flesh, who came full of grace and truth. They recognized that this was the greatest gift that we could ever receive. There's no greater gift that you will ever receive. There is no big screen TV that you can get on your Christmas list this year that will ever outweigh the gift that is in Jesus Christ. This isn't a gift that deserves to go back in the attic in four weeks. This is a gift that deserves to be given every day of the year. That when we recognize the gift that we've been given, I believe that it allows us to also recognize the gift of Jesus is to everybody around us. We look through a whole new perspective, a whole new light at the people that we walk every day with. I want to read this one last verse and then we'll close. Hebrews 4.15, we started out in part of this. This is where I want us to walk out this of these doors today. I want us to recognize the gift that Jesus is, that it would compel us to a point of worship, that we would leave here understanding what Jesus has done for salvation for you and I. That would change the way that we go through the rest of our holiday season. The rest of our life would be affected by this moment right here. And in Hebrews it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is what I want us to leave with right here. Verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This morning, would you draw near to the throne of grace? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you so much, Father God, for the gift that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord God. 
Jesus, I thank you that you chose to leave glory to become flesh, Lord God, so that you could bear our sins, Lord God. Lord, this is the greatest gift that we've ever received. I pray that this would impact our lives forever, Lord God. Lord, that we would be changed by this, Lord God. Lord, that we would have moments like Saul on the road to Damascus, Father God, where our life is flipped upside down and the whole rest of our life we spend in constant pursuit of you, Jesus. Would you speak to us as we leave this place? Would you be with us in our week, Lord God? And I pray, Lord, for those that have come in brokenhearted, Father God, I pray that they would see you Lord God, who sympathizes with us. Lord God, Lord, that they would see you who is grace upon grace, Lord God. Lord, that you would pour out your love, Lord, that you would touch the brokenhearted, Lord God. That you would speak to us and continue to speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, as we uh, prepare to leave, let's uh, take a little bit of a moment to stop and respond. We're going to have you stand and we're going to sing, oh, come let us adore him. As we think about the gift that the Lord gave us in this season. At the same time, I'm going to have prayer teams come up. They'll be on my right and, and left. And if you need prayer, you need somebody to partner with you in ministry um, about where you are right now, they, are, they would love to do that with you. Would you sing with me? Oh, come let